call this message this morning, Bread, Light, and Resurrection. Bread, Light, and Resurrection. And um, it is a wonderful day that we celebrate as Christians today. We celebrate the empty tomb. Uh, We don't celebrate Jesus just nailed to a cross. We celebrate an empty tomb, that the tomb is empty, that he has risen. And it really is one of the highlights of the Christian year. It's, uh, it's the reason that we, you and I can enjoy fellowship with God, because there is an empty tomb. All that Jesus did on the cross was vindicated, was made possible because of the empty tomb. They can't have one without the other. And the empty tomb speaks of all that God has made available to us through the death and, and, and the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus. And so today, as we baptize Joanna, she's not getting saved by being baptized. Being baptized doesn't save you. The water doesn't wash away your sins. The only thing that washes away your sin is the blood of Jesus. That's what we put our faith in. Not in baptism. Baptism is an expression. It's an outward expression of what has already happened. There's been an inward transaction in our lives when we put our faith in Jesus and the old person, the old Joanna, has died already. And the new Joanna has been born from the inside. The spirit of Joanna is now alive. That's what the Bible teaches. And so what we do when we baptize Joanna, it's a demonstration of what has already happened inside of her. That she's put her faith in Jesus. That the old person, the old Joanna, with all of her problems and everything that she had in her life has been put to death. And the new Joanna is rising in Christ, a new creation. That's what we're doing. It's an amazing thing. So I want to encourage you, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized, come and be baptized this morning. One of the first steps of obedience that we are called to do as Christians, and I often have people say, well, I was christened as a baby, I was christened as an Anglican or whatever. I believe the Bible tells this, the Bible teaches this, that baptism is a sign of repentance when you understand what is going on. You can't be christened into something that you don't understand about. When you are baptized, it's saying, I understand that I need a Savior. I understand that I need Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus, and because I put my trust in Jesus, I baptize, get baptized now as a symbol, a demonstration of the inward life that God has brought to me through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? That's what we believe here. So I'm not putting a heavy on you. I'm just saying, think about it if you've never been baptized. All right? All these things are possible because of the empty tomb. And there are many things I could have spoken on today, and I was just reflecting this week. I could have spoken on the, and the narrative of the Easter story, the, the unfair trial of Jesus, the illegal trial of Jesus, the fear of his disciples, the desertion of his disciples, the betrayal of Judas, the cruelty and the malice of the Jewish uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. I could have spoken to you about the denial of Peter, the salvation of that criminal hanging on the cross. I always, when I was a child, that story moved me more than anything else where the criminal was hung on the one side of Jesus, and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Even on the cross, the grace of God is available to a criminal right there. And he was saved in that moment as he believed, and he was with Jesus in eternity. It's never too late for any... I could have spoken about all those things, those amazing words spoken by Jesus. It is finished. Everything my Father asked me to do, I've completed. And then the joy of the disciples and Mary finding the tomb empty. He is risen. He's not here. He, the, he's, 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 he's risen. He's alive. 
All of these things are marvelous. They are absolutely amazing. But today I felt like I wanted to speak to you about some things to try and connect into what Michael Eaton brought to us last week about how we work out our salvation. We are saved by faith, but there's also a working out of our salvation as we live and walk by the Spirit. And Michael tried to unpack that. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last weekend, to go and listen to those messages. They are for Christians. How do we understand how we work out our salvation? What does that mean? How do we do that with liberty and freedom? I want to encourage you to go and have a listen to those messages on the, on the podcast. But I want to look at three things this morning that Jesus said about himself, which actually took him to the cross. And in a sense, I'm going to trace a pass, path with you this morning to the empty tomb. And I'd like to start in Exodus 3.14. So if you, uh, I said turn to John, but I, I forgot that I'm starting in Exodus, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, Exodus 3.14, this is the story. Moses is uh, met with God, and God is, is uh, speaking to him, commissioning him. And Moses says to this, this to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What should I say to them? He's saying, God, it's wonderful that you've called me, but but what do I say to these people of Israel? How do they know who you are? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And the footnotes, if you've got a footnote in your Bible, will say something like this. Or I am what I am, or I am, I will be what I will be. So this is the, the way that um, God identified himself to his people, Yahweh, I am who I am. And he said to, to um, Moses, go and declare that to my people, that the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you, and this is my name, and I am to be remembered throughout all generations with this name. And that's how the, G- the Jews spoke of God, Yahweh. Yahweh was the name of God. It was so holy that they couldn't even write the name of God. That's how holy the name of God was. And then if you go, turn to me now to, to John, um, John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus uses this name of himself, I am. And he says, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why was this such an amazing declaration that Jesus made? Because in effect he was saying in that moment, he was saying, I am God. He was declaring that boldly to the Jewish people. I am God. Before Abraham was, I am. He uses that exact phrase. I am who I am. He declares himself to be God at that moment. And that was the seed of why Jesus was crucified, right there in that little statement. Just remember this about Jesus. Just, just think of this extraordinary claim that he made. For anyone to be called, call themselves God is an extraordinary thing. But just reflect a little bit on who Jesus was. He was a complete outsider to the religious system of the day. He was poor. He was uneducated. He was a carpenter. He spoke with a funny accent. The people from Galilee spoke with a funny accent that the other people in Palestine mocked. If Jesus was alive today, he would speak with a cockney Watford accent. 
He would not speak with a BBC accent. He wasn't that kind of guy. He was an ordinary bloke. He was not exceptional. Isaiah says that there was nothing about Jesus and the way that he looked would cause you and I to want him in any way. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus wasn't good looking. He might have had a big nose. If Jesus walked into the room, the ladies wouldn't have turned their heads and said, what an amazing specimen of humanity. He was just a plain, ordinary bloke who spoke with a funny accent. And he gets up and he says, I am God. You know, can you imagine what a shock that was to these Jewish people that were expecting this Messiah King, like David, warrior, full of nobility and strength and power, good-looking like David. Yeah, this ordinary, plain, funny-speaking Galilean gets up and says, I am who I am. No wonder they wanted to kill him. It's an amazing thing. And I'd like to look at three I am statements that Jesus made about himself as we reflect on Calvary, as we reflect on the risen tomb. He said this, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. And he said, I am the resurrection. All of these things are found in John. And we're going to look at them this morning. And all of these, all these statements that he made are all, are all connected to a miracle. If you read through the Gospel of John, he had just fed 5,000 people, and then he gets up and he says, I am the bread of life. He gives a blind man sight, and then he says, I am the light of the world. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then he says, I am the resurrection. All of these things, these statements that Jesus makes are pointing to who he was and are pointing to what he was going to do. And I believe that God wants to speak to us this morning as we reflect on the cross, reflect on the empty tomb, and reflect on who Jesus was. There are, there are in fact, seven statements that Jesus made about himself, but I don't have time today. I'm going to just look at three. I am the bread of life. John 6.35 Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the first statement to claim that he makes about himself. And just to set a context, Jesus had already been preaching with power in the synagogue in Capernaum. And the people there were poor. Uh, they, they were worldly, I suppose. They were interested in Jesus for the wrong reason. How many people are interested in Jesus for the wrong reason? In John 6.34, like I said, he's just fed 5,000 people, and the people come to him and they say, give us this bread. In other words, they were looking to Jesus for physical bread, and it goes on, if you know the story, it goes on and says, just like you gave manna to our ancestors in the desert, give us this bread, Jesus, give us this bread. In other words, they were looking to Jesus to keep on feeding them. They were looking for, to, to Jesus for, for, for free food on a daily basis. That's what they were looking for. And yet Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. And what does he point to? He does point to hunger. 
This is my point, the first thing I'd like to say. Jesus does point to hunger, but he's not just pointing to physical hunger, he's pointing to a spiritual hunger. He's saying this, that every one of us needs assurance, every one of us needs peace in our lives, every one of us needs to live our lives with a clear conscience. Do you know what's been happening to me recently? And, and this is why I know the devil is trying to get at me. I've been waking up in the middle of the night, remembering things I did as a teenager that were, were impure and that were blights on my teenage years. And I've been remembering them. What is that? <laughs> it's the devil trying to come to remind me of my sin. He's trying to get me to reflect on stuff that happened 25 years ago. And I've had to wake up, and as I've woken up, I've been, maybe it's because my wife is away, I don't know, but I've just been saying, God, I put that under the blood. Please forgive me. I know it is forgiven, but you know what I'm saying? Sometimes the devil brings back to our conscience things to try and accuse us. Are you with me? We all need clear conscience. We all need to live our lives with a sense of forgiveness and, and cleanliness before God. We need purity. We need power over sin. That's what Jesus is pointing to. He's pointing to this hunger that all of us carry in our lives. All of us want to know why we are alive on this planet. How many of you want to know what the destiny is for your life? Why are you alive? What on earth you are doing on this planet? When I was a teenager, I liked Bruce Springsteen, and he had a song. Anyone remember it? Everybody's got a hungry heart. Anyone remember that song? He was pointing to a profound thing. Everybody has got a hungry heart. You might know, people might not know what they need, what they're hungering for, but there's this hunger inside of them. And even sometimes when your life is going well, isn't it true that there's also this, sometimes at the same time, there's this vague sense of unease and dissatisfaction and feeling a little bit inadequate. Anyone felt like that even when your life is going well? Me, I put both my hands up. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying all of us carry this deep, deep hunger in ourselves. And we don't even know where to focus it on, but there's a hunger. And even when people push aside thoughts of God, there's still this hunger that never goes away. And here's the extraordinary thing. Jesus is claiming in that moment that he is the food that enables your hunger to go away. That's what he's saying. I am the food. I am the bread that will take your hunger away. Not just your physical hunger, but all those things that I've described. Dissatisfaction with life, sense of purpose, sense of meaning. If you feast on me, that hunger will be satisfied. I mean, it's true, isn't it? If you have daily bread physically, you get daily strength. You uh, get daily sustenance. If you don't eat, you're going to get ill. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Is as we feast on him, he's going to give us overall health. He's going to give us purpose. He's going to satisfy the hunger of our souls. The basic desire for purpose and destiny in our lives is met as we feed on Jesus day by day. That's the basic requirement that there is in that little scripture, isn't it? Jesus says, he who comes to me, he who feasts on me, I will satisfy him. That's what he's saying. He who drinks of me will never thirst again. In other words, our hunger and our thirst, the spiritual hunger that I'm talking about, the spiritual desire that we all carry, is not automatically satisfied. 
You have to come to Jesus. If He is the bread of life, you have to eat Him. If He is the water, you have to drink of Him to be satisfied. There is something that you have to do, you and I. We have to access what He's done. We have to access Him on a daily basis. The condition is that we keep on coming back, keep on coming back, Every time, that's why every Sunday we break bread in this church. We are reminding ourselves again and again and again, Jesus, today I need your body. Jesus, today I need your blood. I can't do this on my own. I can't live this life on my own. I can't be the man that you want me to be without your blood, without your body. That's why we value breaking of bread. I want to encourage you, every day of your life, when you wake up in the morning, just say, Jesus, I need you. You know what it is? It's humility. <laughs> When we get up in the morning and we say, Jesus, I don't need you, it's saying, I can do all of this on my own. I am strong enough, I am intelligent enough, I am gifted enough just to live this life and I don't need God. Well, I want to tell you, I can't live like that. Every day I'm learning, Jesus, I need you. More and more and more. That hunger, the deepest part of my life, is only satisfied in Him. And it's the same for you. I want to encourage you this morning. The point is that the 5,000 had had their physical hunger met, and Jesus was just saying, I want to satisfy the deepest part of your life. Come and eat on me. If you look, if you, um, I've mentioned it already, but if you go down a little bit further, verse 49, he says this, your, father, your fathers all ate manna, and they died. Yeah? So Jesus is making reference to the desert. He's saying, yeah, your, your father's got uh, manna from heaven, but they still died. And then he goes on to say in verse 50, if anyone eats of me, oh, sorry, if anyone eats of this bread, in other words, Jesus, this person will never die. So he's making the comparison. He's defining it even further. He says, the bread which I give is my flesh. In other words, he's saying, I am your food. <laughs> And now you can see why I challenged the, Jew, the Jews so much. He's saying, if you, if you eat my flesh, and they, they didn't eat certain kinds of meat, and they didn't eat any blood. And he's saying, no, you've got to eat of me. You've got to drink my blood. You, you, no wonder they were offended. It sounds cannibalistic, isn't it? That's what he, it's the kind of image. It's not, it's obviously, he's not saying that. What he's trying to point people to in his language is saying, you need me. You need to feast on me. You, uh, all of who I am. I am God. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life. You need to feast on me daily. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Man, it's extraordinary. So a couple of things about feasting on Christ. It's feasting on Christ. It's feasting on the cross that brings us life. If you want life this morning, I want to introduce you. All I can do is point you to the cross and point you to Jesus, and you need to respond and, and say, Jesus, I need you. And as you feast on Him, He brings life to you. Well, I want to say this just to make, a, make it clear. I don't think Jesus is talking about the Lord's Supper when He says this. Why did I say that? Well, He hadn't instituted the Lord's Supper yet, and the Lord's Supper does use that same language, the body and the blood of Jesus. But he's speaking about something higher than that. He's speaking about something, he's speaking about our spiritual experience. He's saying we need to, to live, we need to eat on him daily. That's what he's saying. You get it? It's not true to say, unless you go to the Lord's table, you will not have life. That's not true. But it is always true to say, unless you go to Jesus, you will not have life. You hear what I'm saying? 
We go to Jesus. This is a symbolic thing which we do. Just as baptism is a symbolic thing that we do. There's no power in the breaking of bread. There's only power in the name of Jesus. There's only power in His blood. We feast on Him. Am I too loud? Okay. We live on the cross of Jesus. I want to encourage you in each and every one. We live on the cross of Jesus day by day. Just to remind you, what does the cross bring us? Justification. It's just as if we had never sinned when we believe on the blood of Jesus. He washes our way, our sin, all the things that we spoke of and sung of today. Second, it brings cleansing of our conscience. When I was speaking to you before, it cleanses our consciousness that we can live free from a guilty conscience. Third, it, it, it ensures us and enables us to know that we've died to the power of sin. Power, sin is not controlling us anymore. Jesus inside of us is controlling us. The Holy Spirit isn't controlling us. And it, fourthly, it enables us to understand that Jesus is ever praying for you and me. Isn't that an amazing thought? I want to look at that just a little bit later in more detail. But Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for me. He's saying, God, let them be united. He's saying, God, let them be in me and you. He's praying for us. And you know what I I, I want to stress this morning is that Jesus' prayers are always answered. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. That's what the Bible says. He's right now at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you and me. He's praying for Maria. He's praying for Colin. He's praying for Jill. He's praying for Petri. He's praying that we will not fail. He's praying that we'll stand strong. He's praying that we'll run the race. He's praying that we'll, we'll win the prize. Oh, that brings such confidence, such assurance, such peace. And the cross also brings us to our final resurrection. You're going to have a resurrected body one day. I'm going to have a resurrected body one day. I just like to say this as a little, uh, you know, we are not, Christians don't believe that we just float around in heaven. Do you know that? That's not what Christianity believes. That is Greek philosophy. The Platonists were people, Plato, you know Plato, that he believed, he taught that this body was evil. So everything about this body was evil. Therefore, this body must die, but the spirit is always pure, right? That's what he believed. And so when Paul went to Athens and he debated with the philosophers on Mars Hill, they all heard what he said until he started speaking about the resurrection because they they didn't believe in a resurrection body. We as Christians do not believe that when we die, we float around in heaven with some kind of eternal soul for eternity. That is what Plato believed. Christians do not believe that. Christians believe that our bodies are going to be resurrected, a new body, and we will live in a new heaven and a new earth, and we will forever be glorified, and this body will be glorified. I'm not some kind of soul floating around in heaven when I die. No, I'm going to get a resurrection body. That's what we believe. And if you didn't know that, I'm telling you, that's what Christians believe. We're not some kind of spirits on a cloud playing harps and stuff when we die. That is Greek theology, Greek philosophy. That is not Christian theology. Okay. Jesus is saying that we all need to feast on Him. And ultimately, as we feed on Jesus, it leads, us, it leads us to our resurrection and our reward on that last day. I've got too much stuff here this morning. I know I'm not going to get through. I'm just going to try, and even if I just do one, all right? 
You and I are going to receive a resurrection body. And you know, the Bible even says that there are different levels of glory. I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure how we, this works out. But the Bible says that all will be raised on the last day. Even the unsa- unsaved will be raised on the last day. We will be saved for our rewards. We will be raised for our rewards. So we can enjoy our rewards. In other words, we will enjoy in our resurrected body every good thing that, that God wants to reward us for, for how we lived here on earth in, that, in this physical body now. That's what we're going to get when we, when we are resurrected from the dead. Not judgment. Judgment doesn't come to us. Judgment's already been paid. But that's what we get. We get our rewards. And Paul says there's different levels of glory that we're going to enjoy. I don't know what that means. It means that you will enjoy one level of glory and someone will enjoy another level of glory. But I don't know how it's going to work out, but that's what the Bible says. We're going to enjoy resurrected bodies. We're going to enjoy glory with Jesus. We're going to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. Man, it's amazing. And lastly, I want to say this, feeding on Jesus leads us to abide in Him. Abide in Him. In verse 56, it says that if we, eat, if we feast on Jesus, He abides in us and we abide in Him. This doesn't mean it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about fellowship with God. It's talking about fellowship with Jesus. If, you know, when you abide in a place, it means you're permanent in that place, you're safe in that place, you never move far from that place. And that's the secret that we need to enjoy spiritual energy, spiritual life. If you always want to be someone who's a Christian who's living with passion and life, the only way to live with passion and life is to abide in Jesus. Abide in Him. I am the vine, says uh, Jesus. And my Father is the vine dresser. Same picture. If you abide in me, you will have fruit. In other words, you'll have life. If you want spiritual energy, abide in Jesus. If you want spiritual life, feast on Jesus day by day. You will have life. You will have energy. The power of the cross. Second thing. Jesus says, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus spoke these words saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And again, Jesus speaks these words at the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you read chapter 7, you'll see the people didn't quite know what to think about Jesus. They were all trying to make up their minds. His brothers, it says, his brothers didn't understand him. The people were divided in their opinions about him. The Jews were just angry with him. But most of the people were just walking around. They were confused. They didn't know where to go. They were lost. And it's into that context that Jesus stands up and he says the second thing. He says, I am the light of the world. In other words, if you don't know where you're going with your life, if you don't know what your life is about, I am the light that shows you the way. That's what he's saying. What is light? Let me just, a couple of things. Light is brightness, isn't it? Light is brightness. Light enables you and I to see things as they really are. When something's in darkness, you can't see what it really is. But when the light shines, it brings honesty. It brings clarity. It, 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 it illuminates things. Light is the opposite of ignorance. It's the opposite of blindness. It's the opposite of feeling obscure. It's the opposite of darkness. And Jesus is saying that he enables us to see things clearly as they really are. He's trying to bring, where there's confusion, he's trying to bring clarity. 
It's interesting that the people said of him that he'd already spoken words that were greater than anyone else had ever spoken, and yet they still hadn't seen him for who he really was. And he has to say, I am the light of the world. Light is brightness. Light is holiness. Light is purity. Whenever light shines, it brings, it's a symbol of purity, honesty, and freedom because it shows up things for what they really are, like I said. And the scripture uses this picture often. It says, God is light, and him, in him there is no darkness. God is light, God is love. These two things go together. And light always reveals holiness and purity. John 3.20, John says that those who are sinful hate the light. There's something about sin that doesn't want to come out into the open. Uh, that's what John says. People, when we're sinning in our lives, we always try and hide it. We don't bring it into the open. But the light always brings it into the open so it can be dealt with. But I also want to say this. Light is joy. Light is joy. The light of God is never threatening. It's never, it's never heavy. Why? Because the essence of holiness is love. God is light. God is love. God is joy. God's light is truth and righteousness, which shows his anger against sin, certainly. But his light is also love and compassion on patience and graciousness and mercy and kindness and goodness. His light is also that. He's the blessed God. God is the happy God. God is always smiling on you. He doesn't smile on sin. He deals with sin, but he's smiling on you and me. He's always smiling. Becky? (laughs) He's always smiling on us. God is light. God is love. God is joy. And so Jesus, Jesus says he's really the light of the world that's come to reveal God to us. And just want to speak briefly about this. There's another condition here. You and I have to follow the light. He is the light. He exposes everything. He shows things for what they really are. And now he says, follow the light. It's like what I said just now. He is the bread of life. You've got to eat the bread. He is the water of life. You've got to drink the water. He is the light. We have to follow the light. And he says, those that follow me will not walk in darkness. You have to act upon what he shows us. And the last thing I want to say about Jesus being the light. Jesus, is, his light is an offer for everyone. Everyone. His light is an offer for everyone. He, he is the light of the world for the entire world. Jesus is the light. And how much of our world isn't rushing into darkness, isn't rushing into evil, isn't rushing into wickedness. It doesn't understand the damage that sin brings into our lives and into the world. It doesn't understand that sin, sin damages our health and our peace of mind. It brings darkness. It brings blindness. And so many people are running after false lights. Jesus says he is the only light. He's the only light of the world. He didn't say, I'd point you to the light. He didn't say, I would show you the light. He said, I am the light. And lastly, I want to look at you. Please go to John 11. Jesus says a third thing, the third I am statement. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I want to just read it with you, John 11. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, and Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Three things I'd like to say out of this passage, and then we're going to break bread together. I believe most Christians have a small view of their Savior just like the people in this passage. Most Christians have a small view of Jesus as their Savior. If you read this chapter in detail, you'll see that this is the testimony of some of these people. Mary and Martha both knew that Jesus was a healer and that he was the Messiah. They both knew that, but they still did not yet realize that he was the divine Son of God, that he was co-equal with the Father, and that he was able to raise the dead. They still didn't get that. They had some revelation about him, but not complete revelation yet. The Jews that uh, were mourning thought that Jesus was weeping just because he had lost a friend, that he was grieving for Lazarus, because he loved Lazarus. They all failed to see two things. They failed to see the power of Jesus, and they failed to see what I want to call the sympathy of Jesus. And we as Christians, we fail to see the power of Jesus, and we fail to see the sympathy of Jesus. I put it to you this morning as we reflect on the risen Christ, as we reflect on the empty tomb. If you and I knew the power of Jesus and understood the sympathy of Jesus that he has for all of mankind, we would live entirely differently. And I don't put that as a heavy on anyone. What I'm saying is this. He's always the resurrection. He is always the life. He has power to do those kind of miracles anytime he chooses. And I put it to you, we'd see much more of the glory of God if we really believed that he was the resurrection and the life now for me and for you. And so I I put it to you, we need to understand the great power and what I wanted, like I said, the sympathy of Jesus. Jesus is about to demonstrate that he has power over death. Death is the greatest enemy of humanity. Death. It's the greatest enemy of the human race. It's the greatest enemy in the universe. Outside of God, death is the second greatest power in the universe. Outside of God. None of us, no human being can sidestep death. It's coming for you and it's coming for me. And no matter how clever we get or how technologically advanced we get and medically advanced we get, none of us can sidestep it. It's coming for you and it's coming for me. And Jesus demonstrates now to Lazarus that he has power of over death. And I put it to you also this morning that Jesus wasn't just weeping for Lazarus. Jesus was weeping for the entire human race. Jesus was weeping because he understood the power of death and he understood the power of sin and he knew that he was going to be in the tomb. He knew that he was going to be taking upon himself all of the sins of the world. That's why he was weeping. He was weeping for you and me. 
He was weeping for humanity. He was, he was weeping for broken lives that have been ravaged by sin. He was, he was weeping for those things. He already knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't weeping about that. He's weeping on behalf of all of humanity that suffers under sin. And because of sin, we all die. And he was weeping for that. And so when Jesus comes to the tomb, even though Martha has said, I believe you can raise, you can do anything, she doesn't really even believe. She's not expecting a miracle. Why do I say that? Because she's, she just thinks Jesus wants to see the body. She says, no, if you open the tomb now, it's gonna, he's going to smell. He's been dead four days. She, she's not expecting a miracle. She's just expecting that Jesus has come to pay his respects. And then Jesus challenges her profoundly. He says this, Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And he points their attention to the fact that he had already been praying for them. He was already praying for them. And he says, if you read the story, he says, Father, I know that you have already heard me. That's what he says. I know you have already heard me, but for the sake of these people right now, I pray so that they know that you have sent me. He points them all to the fact that he had already been praying. It was already a done deal, and he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but for their sake, he wanted them to know that he was praying for them. And so I want to conclude with this this morning, that you and I need to grasp the power that Jesus is praying for us. He is praying for you, just like he was praying for Lazarus, just like he was praying for Mary and Martha that they would have revelation of him. The same Jesus that did that miracle, the same Jesus that was raised from the dead, the same Jesus that the tomb is now empty of, that same Jesus is praying for you and he's praying for me. And he's praised things like this, keep them in my name. He prays, keep them from the evil one. He prays, sanctify them all in the truth. If you go and read the prayers of Jesus, those are the kind of things that he prays, and he's praying them for you, and he's praying them for me. And he always gets his prayers answered. Always. I want to say this, doesn't that bring you security? Brings me such security and peace in my life that Jesus' prayers are always answered. So when he's praying that I'm going to stand, that I'm going to be one with him, it's It's done. (laughs) it's a done deal. I don't have to worry anymore. He always gets his prayers answered. And that brings such peace. And what Jesus wanted was the crowd. He wanted the crowd to see that he was the unique Son of God sent by the Father to save them. And he wants all of us to see the same thing. Jesus is still on his mission. What is his mission? His mission is to bring many sons to glory, many daughters to glory. The glory. And so I want to say to you this morning, if you're here and you're visiting and you don't know Jesus, He wants to bring you to glory. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to live with a clear conscience. He wants you to know peace. He wants you to know forgiveness of your sin. He wants you to live with a, not a restless heart, not a hungry heart, but a peaceful heart, a fulfilled heart, a fulfilled life. That only comes by putting your faith, your trust in what He has already done for you on the cross. That's the only way it comes. And so, ultimately here, Jesus is pointing to the fact that he has defeated this great enemy, death. 
I want to say to you lovingly, you don't have to worry dying about dying. You know, Woody, Woody Allen said this. He said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Isn't that true? That's, that's really the, the heart of all of us, isn't it? We, we're somehow afraid of death. And you know what the amazing thing is? I was just reflecting on this this week. This, this Jesus, with a funny accent and the ordinary-looking guy, all those things that I, 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 I spoke to you, he says, he says to, to Mary and Martha, he says, you don't have to wait for that day to enjoy the resurrection. He pointed, they said, oh, we understand that we're going to be resurrected on that day. And Jesus, with a funny cockney accent, he says, I am the resurrection. I am standing right before you. You can enjoy life now. You don't have to wait for that day. And for you and me who believe in Jesus, we enjoy the resurrection of Christ right now in our lives. We are alive, and I'm not saying my heart is not going to stop beating. Of course it will. And you know what happens? My body will die, and in that moment I'll step into eternity and be with Jesus. There's nothing to be afraid of. That's why we sing, death, where's your victory? Where's the power of your sting? It is gone. Death has been defeated. And so Jesus wants to take off the grave clothes, of all of our lives, some of us might be entombed by sin, by the power of sin. And Jesus says, just like he said to the people, take off Lazarus's grave clothes, set him free. God wants to do that for every single person. And my prayer is, if you don't know Jesus this morning, that you will know him right now. Right now. He's available. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the resurrection. And all he asks, he says, will you come and eat of me? Will you let me show you? Will you follow my light? Will, will you drink of me as the living water? It requires something from you. It requires you to say, yes, Lord. Amen?